Welcome to Film Fight Club, otherwise known as The Danger Zone. I am Iceman, or Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and I feel the need, the need for astute film criticism. Well, I think we all feel the need for that sometimes. I'm Chris Evans. Hello. Maverick. Maverick. Hello, Maverick. <laughs> am I Maverick? I don't know that I really should be Maverick. Yes, you I are Maverick, because I'm Goose, the... and I'm your best friend uh, okay. in real life, oh, and geez. also in the film. But Glenn you could be Cyclone. Yeah, I could be Cyclone. I like that. I like that. I just feel like Glenn... Oh, but you're Iceman, aren't you? I, I'm Iceman. I think it's Iceman. Uh, Iceman's the good guy. Again, we're going back to the original film here. Iceman follows the rules, you know, does what he needs to do. And I like following rules in most cases. You are, And you're not cool. So, but, Iceman. Ooh. <laughs> Iceman is the coolest. What, his name is Iceman. I know. He's cool under pressure, but you're not cool in terms of like... You're cred. not like Maverick cool. Yeah, you're not cred cool. You don't have the cred. D- you, don't ride, you don't ride like a bomber jacket and then, you know... I do have a bomber jacket, but riding motorcycles without a helmet is dangerous and you shouldn't do it, kids. Yeah. It's bad yeah. news. We always wear helmets. Exactly what Iceman would say. As this new film teaches us, you have to wear a helmet, otherwise things are, things are going to get etchy. And speaking of which, um, yes, we have Ratne Roo, who is... Goose. Goose. Well, I die in the film, but then again, yeah, you know, sorry. I'm always mentioned in fond terms, and I like to be thinking, thought of that way. Yeah, sorry for spoilers for a film that's 36 years old. That's all right. Um, as you can probably tell, we are covering Top Gun Maverick this week. We did review Top Gun a couple of years back in a Tom Cruise marathon. It's not a great film, but it's heavily stylistically fun. It's this, iconic. It's, it's iconic. iconic, and the only thing I remember from that film and I could never forget was the volleyball scene. Oh, yeah, classic. Th- there's an improvement on that. and I wouldn't call it an improvement. There's a... There's a There's new a remix. installment. There's a remix. The new installment, and yeah, the but the singing doesn't improve. The bar singing sequence was still the best in the first Top Gun. We'll get, we'll get, there's a lot of things that are homages or installments or new or fresh. We'll be talking about that in a few minutes. First, we want to touch on the Sydney Film Festival in Cannes. The Sydney Film Festival returns next week. We are very excited because we like the Sydney Film Festival. It's in person. We'll be covering many films and going to many screenings. It starts on the 8th of June and goes through to the 19th. It's screening at the Ritz, at Advanced Cinemas, um, in Western Sydney, at the Casula Powerhouse, at the State Theatre. And we're going to be seeing a lot of films and sh- telling you what you should see, what you shouldn't see. And just, yeah, just we'll be at the Hub when we're not seeing a movie. It's 12 days of intense film watching. Yeah, I think I'm very excited that the Hub is back on because I think that's something, the social aspect of Sydney Film Festival is something that we dearly missed. Yeah. And more than the films, it's the rush of excitement of talking about the films after the screenings in a collective place with all the nerds. And, you know, film lovers, you know, normal it, people. As we've mentioned on this show many times, we all met at the Hub. So it offers these kind of socializing and networking opportunities. Um, I, I hate be, talking would, about it like it networking would, opportunities. It's it, fun. It, this but, is but 2022. It's what, it, I think it was first time was 2012 when we kind of first met at the Hub. It's um, almost 10 years ago. My first city film festival was actually 20. Yeah, around that time. Yeah. It, it, it is my 10th city film festival. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, I know Chris has been going for longer. I know, but it's my my tenth as well, so it's a ten year anniversary. It's a big deal, coming of age. Uh-huh. And I'm not trying to spook mm-hmm. the you know the uh, publicity sheet for the festival, but it is actually a good film networking space if you want to you know get projects off the ground or meet other people in the industry. And a lot of people are premiering, a lot of locals premiering their films there, including first time filmmakers. I'm seeing Sissy on opening night. That's my first film. Uh, the filmmakers are really cool locals, and it's made in the ACT, so I'm really keen. Uh, we are going to be doing proper coverage next week, talking about what we're seeing, what we're covering. Uh, we're basically going to be there every day. But the Cannes uh, flicks, and there's a number of 
um, con events, and in, which have got an increased trajectory given wins at con over the past yeah, week. Yeah, that's right. Um, we're recording this on Monday, so yesterday the uh, winners were announced, and uh, we're wondering which ones of them are going to be added to the Sydney Film Festival program, because Nashan Moodley himself was in Cannes this year to scope out the films and pick some up. I yes. uh, I think decision to leave uh, the one which Song Kang Ho won best actor for. No, he won for Broker. Sorry, the Broker. creator. Yeah, yes, yeah. the creator. Yeah, but um, confusingly, creator made a Korean film. Yes, but um, yeah. Park Chan Wook won one best director though. He did. Right. Yes. That's right. Um, well, Khan five years ago brought The Handmaiden as a late addition yes. to Khan. Sorry, to Sorry, SFF. SFF brought... <laughs> yes, that's right. Handmaiden, Handmaiden is a late edition yeah. after it had premiered at Cannes, so it wouldn't surprise me if I history... I am guaranteed Decision to Leave has to be, even though movie has picked it up, so if, you know, deal if with SFF that. hasn't picked it up, movie has picked it up, so you'll get to watch it. Eventually. But I'm guaranteeing that that should be one of the late editions. I think it would be. It would be one of the most popular films showing at the festival for sure. And speaking of Cannes and five-year cycles repeating... Again, Park Chan-wook and Ruben Ostland showed up at the f- at the festival and at Cannes. And again, Ruben Ostland won the Palm d'Or mm. again for another movie named after a shape. After The Square in yeah. 2017, he won for <laughs> Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness, yeah. About I mean, uh, rich folks on a yacht with um, Woody Harrelson as an as an angry communist. The thing is, the thing is, look, cool. I I, I love it's I a love, comedy. Apparently, love, it's funny. I love Ruben Ostland, and I think he's a kind of spiritual successor to Michael Haneke is how I would... Uh, but much more comedy. Much more comedy and less depressing, definitely. Uh, but I guess the same acerbic hateness towards people in general. I think he dislikes all people, much like Haneke. But, Maybe. But in, in that sense, uh, weird to think that he's won the Palm so close together twice now after the square. He's an interesting director, but he's not someone we think of as this undersung modern master kind but of I, person. But I would say, like, I, like, I, like, con, I like Force Majeure, I like the square... So I'm sure I'd like Triangle of Sadness, but I wouldn't like put him in the category of like amazing. That's how I feel. And I yeah. thought Force Majeure was better than The Square. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Triangle of Sadness sounds good. Um, it's a triangle. Yeah. yeah, the reviews are good. Um, yeah, we'll see. One Fine Summer Morning, the new Leah Sado film, as yeah, directed by Mia Hansen Love, fresh off Bergman Island. Um, yes, and I, did, I didn't like Bergman Island that much, so I wasn't looking forward to this one. But apparently, it's got great reviews. So yeah, well. Um, some of her French films, I've been more. I saw Eden. I was more impressed by that than Bergman Island for sure. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, the point is, lots of good movies at Cannes. Um, hopefully, some of them will come over. I'm really keen about EO, the film about a donkey. Yes, it's about and, the adventures and, uh, of a looking donkey. Looking at the jury grade, that was one of the most consistently higher graded films. It was, yeah. So yeah, it, it sounded um, like a really innovative. Um, Narrative yep. film and from the last time really we spoke at SFF, Elvis has been officially announced to be part of the Sydney Film Festival. And it's not the closing the re- night film. It's, it's not the, the closing, closing night, night film. No, the thing with Elvis is the reviews are ter- may say it sound terrible, but make me want to see it. It's uh, being described as visually anarchic and insane and crazy. What does get me is the uh, comparisons to Walk Hard and that apparently they're playing little clips of each of his songs. And look, I grew up in Elvis. I've actually seen all these films. I would like to see a real homage to a dedicated small part of his life which explores a particular error i know this isn't that but as a core elvis fan i am still keen i'm curious more than anything else baz Luhrmann, it's he's the definition of a hit in this filmmaker for me i like i love some of his films i can't stand some of them i'll see it yeah i'll probably wait till after the festival it comes out on june 23rd that's it to yeah, me a, a lot of the films i think this is the biggest drawback for this year's festival a lot of the films are releasing quite uh you know soon after or they're going to be on streaming 
practically during the festival. I haven't time. heard anything about a release date for Crimes of the Future, and that comes out in America and Canada like a week third, before. Yeah, third of June, right, in the U.S. Yeah, so yeah. hopefully, and that's not in the SFF program, so hopefully we get that soon. Yeah, but that seems like one of those things where MIF might pick it up more mm. than SFF. But that will be two months after. It'll be on video by then. It'd I know, be but stupid if, it, if, if they it don't. doesn't get an Australian release, it, it should. might be an Australian premiere. Surely, yeah. surely. But we'll see. We'll see. So that is Khan and SFF will be covering much more in the coming week weeks, I should say. Um, you'll be listening to Film Fight Club on 2SL with Gun Falcons and Chris Evans of Ratney Roo. Just before we get into Top Gun Maverick, a few weeks ago we covered everything everywhere all at once. Great film we'd recommend. Um, Alyssa sort of pointed out correctly that um, the language the family speak in the film, um, which I incorrectly noted, is in fact Cantonese, so just a correction there. And, um, yep, so that's it. Again, go see everything everywhere all at once. It's a great movie. On a very different film, though, is Top Gun Maverick. Now, I have the ignominious pride of saying I've seen every single Tom Cruise film now. I like to think of myself an expert in Tom Cruise. That's what how I brag. It's, it's, yeah, I am cool, Varat. And <laughs> it's okay. Second hand cred is still cred. Cruise control. We'll, we'll, we'll cool. give you that. <laughs> it's cruise control. control. Yeah. <laughs> so this is Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to Tom Cruise's. Uh, really, he's bre- I'd say star he's making bre- star role, making really. Role. After well, risky business, but Risk- then this made him Wait, the superstar. It was, it was Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky was two thousand and one. Fifteen years okay, later. Well, I, I, well, look, look, I, w- I would say he's defining role as Ethan Hunt, but for ten years this was his defining role. Even for fifteen years, yeah. he was known as Maverick from Top Gun. He's come back to this role thirty-six years later. Is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, with whom Cruz collaborated on Oblivion. Direct, produced by Cruz and Christopher Quarry, who has collaborated with Cruz in his last several films. And written the script for this one, he, alongside others, but it really feels his fingerprints. I get the sense this is a Macquarie film. Yeah, so Cruz loves collaborating. He loves working with people who are caught to him. I love that he's reunited with Ed Harris after 30 years. They were in the yeah. firm together. Um, and we'll get to uh, Ed Harris in a second. Days of Thunder, right? Was that Harrison Days of Thunder? It's been a long time. Yes, I think so. I think yes. so you're right. I'm um, also was. directed by Tony Scott. No, it as was Robert Duvall. It was Robert oh, Duvall. Right. Sorry, okay. okay yeah. It was Robert Duvall. Yeah. Um, they look similar. They, 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 nothing like they don't really, but for some reason, Ed Harris slotted it in my mind's eye for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be talking more about Ed Harris in a moment. You're staying true to your Maverick roots by being chaotic. Yeah. yeah. Right. It is starring Jennifer Connelly, Miles Teller, Val Kilmer, John Hamm, Ed Harris, as we say, and a few other prominent actors. It is uh, the sequel to Top Gun. We see at their commencement Captain Pete Mitchell uh, tinkering of planes and pushing himself and trying to show that drone warfare isn't the pinnacle because uh, there's people like Maverick and he's eventually brought in to teach at the Top Gun school, which is the same title crawl shows us. It is for the top 1% of pilot, naval pilots in the U.S. Not only is it the same title crawl, but they even introduced Don Simpson slash Jerry Bruckheimer Productions, even though Don uh, Simpson died a long time ago. I did like that graphic, and you I know. liked that it was uh, dedicated to Tony Scott, the director of the original. Yes. Uh, classy, classy thing. Um, possibly almost 10 years ago. This film, I think, would have been a better one if Tony Scott directed it. Oh, no question. Yeah, Tony Scott was uh, involved in the early discussions about the film, and um, based on what he was saying, he really wanted the, f- the story to focus on the drone pilots and the difference between the drone pilots and the fighter pilots, which I think is a far more interesting angle than the film that we actually got, where drones are basically just a plot device, and then we go into... A yeah. very safe rehashing it, 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 of the beats from becomes, the original Top Gun. It a human story once again, yeah. Okay, I, I disagree. Um, because I think the film actually does explore this indirectly. It, There's moments... I just feel like it's a such an interesting subject that 
we could have gone genuinely in depth because as the film plays out at the beginning they're telling us that the drones are replacing um top gun program then suddenly it's like okay top gun program you've got to do this mission and it's all and the drone issue almost just like falls away into the background it's just a ticking time bomb threat as opposed to something the story is genuinely intellectually engaging with but i don't think it, I think it does explore, but not in a conventional way. I think when you look at drones, the thing that pops to mind, the, thing is, the way you think a film might follow it is, is this whole theme of drones are better, but no, humans have instinct and can react. And the film does deal with that in some ways, in a great way where a character learns just to do rather than think at the opportune time. But more interesting to me, and I think the tangent the film covers is what is the meaning of expendable? Mm. Are is machinery expendable? Are humans more expendable? Are humans just expendable? And this is teased out through the John Hammond and Harris characters, who, by the way, are the same person. There's no reason they had to cast two actors. They could have just cast <laughs> one guy. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, there's, there's a lot of purely functional characters. Jennifer Connolly sits a little bit above that, but we'll get to that later. Um, I like the arc John Hamm's character has to go through. Um, the whole film plays out around what is actually a spectacularly interesting mission. Um, it plays out like a heist movie. We, we're given a scenario, we're told they have yeah. to meet the, the They have the to train stages. for it, then they have to pull it off. And then actually execute it. Yeah. And the key issue is that Tom Cruise and John Hamm, John Hamm plays an admiral, and the head of the school have different approaches as to what is expendable, how this should be achieved, what is considered a net gain or net loss in terms of this mission. And yeah. I think the themes that Kristen, you've alluded to, do play out indirectly in that way. And mm. I wasn't expecting that. And I like that. I don't think it actually really rehashed too much of the old film. I, I, I oh. think in, the, in that oh. sense, I mean, yes, we'll, we'll go into that. But the one, I think, differentiating factor, which you just pointed out, let's discuss that first. This film had a lot more flying than I was expecting. Practical flying. Practical flying, like the actual flying. And it got into a lot more strategy discussions around missions than I was expecting as well. The original Top Gun, I thought, used flying as more like a plot device and a prop to kind well, of show cool things about, look, planes, they're cool. But this one actually showed you about, you know, what are flying different, you know, organization techniques. I agree. That and how actual flying decisions in flight can have real impacts well, in, 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 in missions and stuff. The in-cockpit in stuff is the saving grace of the film. I mean, it's a decent enough film. When I say saving grace, I make it sound maybe like it's really bad. But, but I've also, heard like, so I wasn't expecting that, because that isn't the propriety of Top Gun franchise. That's not something... Uh, when I think of Top Gun at the first Soap movie... Soap opera. I don't, I, don't, yeah, I don't think of that as like, oh, you know, it's a really cool film about how flying works. Yeah, and inside the actually, cockpit. Yeah, exactly. In this film, I actually had a lot of that, which really surprised me. Yeah, and, I, and I loved the, we're just going to say up front, the practical shooting people got in the cockpits and learned. They put, have patched cameras to the rear of these planes. The photography and the use of actors in these scenes mm. in aerial footage is incredible. It is. And, and you have to appreciate that it is practically shot. You might not go into it thinking that, but it was. Yeah, and it's the thing that uh, they couldn't do on the original because Tom, uh, Tom Cruise was the only one of the cast who in the tests didn't throw up when they filmed inside a real plane with him. Of course. But, uh, <laughs> this time around... Uh, another thing, it's like, Tom Cruise could do anything. Yeah, but uh, this time around... The actors got over their uh, weak stomachs and became real pilots. <laughs> but um, Top Gun Maverick uh, really comes alive in these flight scenes. You do feel how, that it's genuine. It, it looks real. It is real. Um, seeing the aerial maneuvers and the, the horizon line spinning around the actors in the cockpit and the real G-forces playing on their face. I mean, honestly, and this is something which not many movies can achieve, it made me feel like a kid. You know, right. watching the fighter planes the first time. It made you feel the thrill of watching an actual 
airplane going in the sky and be like, ooh, that is so cool. Well, the final uh, sequence, the mission, as it were, is absolutely thrilling to watch. It is. Okay. It is. It's beautiful. And there's a feeling that, and I believe it, the people who actually have this equipment loved the original, loved this film, and there's a genuine passion to connect here. Yep. We see practical shots of hardware we would, really wouldn't see in a lot of other films that other films would have access to. Uh, there are saving graces of big budget filmmaking. The final sequence, it's again, I say it's a heist film. We're told throughout what has to happen. There's a series of things that need to happen in order to pull this off. So we know about the logistics and the geography and the risks going in. There are complications, and it plays out over about... 30 minutes, there's a surprising fourth act I didn't see coming, which was good, which again was um, had sequences I wouldn't see in another film. I, we can't, we have to really talk around it, but I genuinely enjoyed it. The one thing I will say is that it was the same with the original. They always refer to the enemy, the other country is not named. It can only be one other country in yeah. terms of the terrain and the resources they have, but they don't say Russia. But um, no. I, wish, I bet they wish they had now. <laughs> no, no, but no, honestly, actually, no. Uh, th there I disagree. I think here we have a film. Uh, where we don't necessarily need to go to American patriotism. It doesn't need that kind of branding to succeed. The Top Gun franchise is already cool mm. without the American superhero stuff. It doesn't go in my, need to go into Michael Bay territory. But Top Gun is American superhero it, it stuff. Is, it, is, it is, it is, it is. But at the same time, this could just be about planes are cool. And I think it still works as a, as a movie that's just as how cool are planes. Mm. And it doesn't need the nationalistic patriotic territory to actually have that credibility. Okay, I'm going to say I don't think that it is present within the film. I don't think naming another country makes it so. I just think referring to them constantly as the enemy is distracting and unrealistic in a film that otherwise tries to be realistic. Okay, yeah, yeah, but yeah there's I, sort I, I of say that, yeah. no yeah. way around this except for biting the bullet and saying we don't care about international box office, which yeah, <laughs> is clearly one of the factors at play here. There's something that thankfully isn't in the film but appeared in an early promo thing, which is where the Japanese flag became like a star, I think, instead of a circle, so as not to annoy China, on the back of Maverick's jacket. Oh, really? Okay. In the actual film, okay. as it is, it's back to as okay. it should be. The okay. Japanese flag okay. in the original. I topic. didn't know about that. Yeah, but interesting. It's not just about planes and how planes are cool, though it is about how planes are cool. The original was a film about masculinity and this one is deals with masculinity in different ways. Uh, what we haven't talked about is Miles Teller, who plays Goose's son, Rooster. Okay, so this is what I mean when I say okay, the movie yeah, is a rehash of the original. Let's talk about how Ooh. much of the... Because a lot of sequels, <laughs> and this is the problem that a lot of sequels have, is that they're basically using the IP of an original film yeah. and rebooting the original, but calling it a sequel. So but in this, this film, I don't think does that to that extent. Rooster is, you know, he's like Goose, except he's got a, a um, resentment against Maverick, which is a rivalry, which is kind of more like Iceman. It's different because Maverick in this plot is the teacher. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, in this yeah. one, Miles Teller is a mix of Goose and Iceman. Yeah, in terms of it just sometimes best friend, sometimes rival. Yeah, and the way that Goose of Goose Junior Rooster is depicted as being just like his old man playing piano with a moustache with the Hawaiian shirt in the in the bar and in the bar Tom yeah, Cruise, that, that Tom was Cruise is the nose, yeah. dating the, you know is interested in the woman in the bar and he, he romances her riding in his motorbike and everything there's there are things that are different but there's a lot that feels like this is trying to hit similar beats and create a nostalgic um, aura in the original yes, Top Gun. Uh, yeah. Okay, I think that Jennifer, Jennifer Colony is great. Um, if they were going to bring her back, there's no reason they couldn't otherwise have brought Killian Gillis or Meg Ryan back. But with Jennifer Connelly, her role is really just functional. It's there to have a subplot amidst all else that is going on. I think she's a very good actress. I think she handles it well, but she doesn't really have a lot to do here. Sure. In terms of rehashing the material, 
um, the goodness gracious great balls of fire scene mm-hmm, yeah. way too much. Yeah. I can believe that Rooster would want to follow in his dad's footsteps. There's bits that he's a Top Gun pilot. And <laughs> I think, it's, yeah. and I, I said this again. What we talked about the drone um, subplot that we thought there's an obvious way for that to go. There was a very obvious script here where Goose's son was angry that his dad was killed on a mission with Maverick, but they didn't go in that and direction. he becomes a drone drone pilot because that's something that could have avoided uh, Goose's death. Will Wong, when I was talking uh, um, to him about, a friend of mine, about the film, proposed something similar. And to me, that that's a very elegant way of drawing up that generational dispute. But yes, this is the thing. There was there was a tension, but it wasn't what we expected, and it was something that was realistic. I believe this could play out. It gave us much greater depth between the history of these individuals. We know so much has happened over the course of 35 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that relationships are still quite core to this. Um, what we see of Iceman is really, really moving. Val Kilmer has always been a great actor. He's a better actor than Tom Cruise, and he's yeah, very okay. good in this. L- let's talk yeah. about that, because I think a lot of people, including myself, were hesitant to see how they would explore Val Kilmer's involvement in this film, which was hinted at, and it was very clear that he was going to be involved. But then, given what he's been through, I was skeptical whether or not this is going to be just a cash grab opportunity or whether he would be introduced in a way that's respectful of not just his condition, but also in a way that does the story some good and some service in the narrative arc. Yeah, go watch Val, it's great, by the way. And I think, yes, I think the way they handled everything about him was super respectful. It was just the right amount of nostalgia. And I think that's nostalgia done right. For a lot of the film, the film does get it wrong. It's on the nose. But Val Kilmer's character is probably the best mix of using the right character in IP, but giving it a new twist, still being respectful of the original material, but still adding something new to it. So it's a it's a tough and tricky tightrope to walk. I'm not saying it's easy. It was well done. It reminded me of the Log Ladies scenes in Twin Peaks Season 3, if anyone's seen that. Um, in general, the film is very reverential and respectful of the original. It's a, it's a, it is. It, it, it's, it's a victory lap. Yeah, it's, almost. It's, and, 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 and the good thing is, it's not trying to press those buttons deliberately. If it is doing that, it's doing it in a way that is trying to remind you of the good times, rather than trying to manipulate you into feeling something which you don't necessarily want okay, to feel. But I think it goes for a fundamentally different film. Like we, I, we watched the original a couple of years ago, and it is a everyone is trying to one-up each other. It is a very ego-driven film. Uh, Maverick comes back, and Tom Cruise isn't playing... He's playing the same character, but at a different time. He's the elder teach now. He's much more reserved. He's at a different stage of his life, and the explorations of masculinity are very different. There is an incredibly moving sequence at the end, which goes to the very core of masculinity between two characters. We can't ruin it. It's it's great. It's genuinely, genuinely moving. Um, and I, I think this film uh, takes a leaf out of another round in, oh, yeah. in terms of uh, exploring masculinity, especially in terms of character... I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ruin anything like that but I'm just going to say I liked how that evolution of masculinity over 30 years gets to that point where we now have genuine male bonding scenes in commercial films and people actually can bond over that but there is a drawback here and it comes down to Tom Cruise. And I can say this now because I am Good. the Tom Cruise expert. I'm glad you're uh, going here because I was about to interrupt. Exactly. I, okay. I was just like, now. you know, you as a Tom Cruise expert, yeah. you get to have first, first digs. Now, look, Tom Cruise, okay, the original early Tom Cruise and Top Gun, play, it's a, it's a hyper-masculine film in the traditional macho sense, which played to Tom Cruise's 20-something-year-old strength. He was a, he was an incredible uh, visage. He was very... Um, think about Tom Cruise's. Okay. He is one of the most 
of intrinsically and easily charismatic and intense actors in Hollywood. He is also a very good dramatic actor, but I think people mistake his intensity and charisma for often being a good performer, and he does have a great range. We've seen in a lot of films. Top Gun, Pete Mitchell, back in the 80s, is perfect Cruise. It was exactly what he needed. Now he's playing a fundamentally different character. So a lot of the sequences where he's required to really act and be dramatic involves him doing these long looks outside windows or away at someone being morose, being forlorn. <laughs> Cruise is good, but he's not that good. Kilmer could pull it off, but he kind of has, only, with the exception of one great scene where he falls out of the second story of a house, um, it's the same tenor whenever he has these dramatic moments, and it's just not that good. He does actually have the range as an actor to pull it off. I think he does. I'm not sure he knows that i don't think anyone involved in the film has the guts to tell him well that's it this is the number one reason why i don't really see what a lot of people are saying in terms of the hype around this film it's too much of a tom cruise film it has the same faults that the recent mission impossible films have um which, which are also he's making another one next yes, year which yeah. he's the also which looks great by the way it does say. yeah which and they are good films as well don't get me wrong i'm not here to say all to, you know tom cruise is bad um in his filmmaking but his character in these films that he always produces and he always hires Christopher McQuarrie to write them is always close to faultless. His um, Or at least, if not faultless, then not showing interesting enough dramatic faults to create interesting drama. I mean, Ethan, Tom Cruise that way is the last uh, you know, Hollywood mm, action hero. Yeah, his character does, does have faults here, they're, but they're the things inherited from yeah, the original. He's too much of a hotshot and things in, like that. In, but that. in that sense, it's, he's like your... I would say like for like replacement to a Bollywood superstar right. who can't, you know, experiment out of his range. Basically. Yeah, it's a, well in in the Mission Impossible films, Ethan Hunt is just so goddamn pure, and um, Maverick, despite having some no, lingering no, no, aspects not first, of not the first one with Brian De Palma, but anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, no, well, then but he was like a scrappy startup again, yeah. but it's mirroring his career trajectory. But the latter ones, as Tom Cruise has become the guy who, as you said, is probably surrounded by yes men who won't tell him no. Um, he plays the really intense guy, but I never, because of something about his performances, I never feel that much for him. And on top of that, the other, the supporting characters are always playing second fiddle to this guy who can do everything and always pulls off the most amazing moves but, but, but at the it, end. But of in the some, in, in some sense, even so, after having said that, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm surprised I'm the one defending Cruz here. It just seems believable, given how much of himself he puts on the line. That if he yes he does that and he is the guy who kind of kind of do anything at this age. I'm just saying. It well, yeah, feel, sure he is, but I'm it just does saying. Does kind of feel unbelievable, the, the but it also feels like, oh, it's Tom Cruise, and obviously only he can do that. The films feel a little bit like an ego trip from the. Oh, like, yeah, look totally, at me do totally, this incredible yeah. thing, and my character is so pure. But also you know? he and can. But the thing is, he not can, only he that. So what? Things. It doesn't mean that art has to be play second fiddle to his ego. Yes, let's watch him do the. the it's a combination of things. Like yes, he can do those things, and I love that. But I don't go away going, oh, Jackie Chan, what a show off. I, because Jackie Chan gets you know, plays the fool, which Tom yeah. Cruise which, never will. But Jackie Chan in the Foreigner was amazing, and, and but, he's also experimented as well. But, well, Tom Cruise has actually Tom Cruise had his moments in the last decade of playing the fool, talking about Rogue Nation, Made in America, the Mummy to an extent, and but he's done with that now. He wants to be he, he he's on the lot. He knows he has a couple of action films left in him, mm. and he wants to go out on a ridiculous high. I, I get it. I just wish the other characters didn't feel so sketchy. Because pretty much everyone on the mission, apart from even Jennifer Connelly to an extent, that she has some more depth to him. But everyone apart from Rooster on the mission um, is a no, I think, I think shell of a character. Hangman, Hangman gets a bit of. Uh, Hangman is a good character. Hangman I'm going to say, I'm gonna say Bob actually yeah. is quite fun. Yeah. 
but and yeah. uh, the others can't remember their names. It's yeah, and, and, and the female recruit doesn't. Phoenix is I Phoenix is pretty good. But like the character drama and the actual narrative of this film is pretty thinly defined. It's mostly okay, a I, movie I that is yeah, defined yeah. by the incredible action. So when and I hear the incredible action of Tom Cruise, well, particularly. Yeah, sure, Tom yeah. Cruise. I'm um I'm not disparaging the, Cruise here. No, I'm just no, saying. No, I'm just saying. But that is that is basically the template of any star-driven vehicle but it get no it goes further the plot is always the um the higher-ups at the imf uh, you know cruise you're too much of a hot shot we're bringing you in it's like no i'll i'll show them that actually i am that amazing and, and, and you, know you can't tell me i'm wrong and that's fine if we just hadn't see that play out again and again and again and again yeah seeing the same even formula even that's played in, the last three even mission possibles and the original top gun that's which right. is where it, which is the first film where that actually that that formula started it was the first one where it was I'm resplendent. Yeah, I, I can't believe I have less of a problem with that than you two actually. I think I've just gotten sick of it gradually over the last um, few Tom Cruise spectacles, and it I, came I, to I, a head at the end of Mission yeah. Impossible Fallout when Ving Rhames started monologuing about how Ethan Hunt's always oh, going to yeah, save oh, the yeah, day, yeah, and yeah. he's so great. The thing, the, <laughs> thing, the thing is, the thing is, I have less of a problem because I know there is no replacement. If Tom Cruise really dies, does something else. Then there is a big void, and nobody can step into Tom Cruise's shoes. That's and, obvious. And the final oh, act don't get me wrong; it's really amazing. What he does is amazing. Just him, and he's and he's great, and he's entertaining. And I know he puts himself his visions, but then uh, the character of Maverick—they establish a thirty-six-year backstory, which does justify it to a great extent. I, I'm glad they waited. I mean, this story feels like. They've earned the weight. Well, it and takes they, on and, different and dimensions yeah, for exactly. being decades later. You know, it becomes yeah. about the passage of time, becomes about mortality, becomes about fathers and sons and all of these yeah, things. Yeah, the biggest fear was it's going to be a crash crab on an existing IP, which it's not. It's way which better is, than... Which is beautiful. It's, well, it's a Top Cruise passion project, and the guy is a perfectionist, right? I just wish the movie had a little bit more of a really stylized visual identity because the first one is so striking and this one kind of looks a bit generic outside of the flight scenes. And I'd say that extends to the music too. There's no reason yeah. to bring the Who into it. They get Kenny Loggins out of the way at the beginning. The second one, the first one brought in Otis Redding and this great soundtrack. There's elements of that in this one. And the original theme is great and resplendent. I just wish there was more creativity and risks like the original one took. Yeah, I just wish the film took more risks. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, But yeah. it's very I, fun. I, I and can the, accept that. The action is better than anything else you've seen in cinemas in the last few years. No question. That is Top Gun Maverick. I'd recommend it. It's in cinemas now. We'll be back, we'll be back next week talking all things to the film festival. Um, stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin and kind of, we look forward to covering new SFF. There's been Glenn Falcon, Stankris, Evans, and Verante Rue. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe. Good Hang night. Hang loose. Thanks, <laughs> Hang ten.